Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guests are Mickey Daughtry and Rachel Lippincott. Mickey and Rachel are the number one New York Times bestselling team behind Five Feet Apart, and their new YA romance, All This Time, goes on sale 929. The romance asks, can you find true love after losing everything? All This Time is a compelling examination of love, loss, and finding strength, who you are. Mickey and Rachel, I hope I did the book justice with my intro there. We're very excited to have you. How are you? Hi. Thanks Hi. for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. I'm Mickey. I'm the one with the accent. <laughs> and I'm Rachel, the one without. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. We're excited to have you. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? I know you're a writing duo, and these days... Duos don't need to be in the same place. So are you in the same place? Where are you in the world? No, I'm in California, just in lives. I'm pretty much like between Santa Monica and Beverly Hills. So I'm on the west side, SoCal. Yeah, and I'm east coast. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So yeah, completely <clears throat> different time zones and everything. And does distance these days affect you at all? I imagine not, right? Especially with quarantine, you kind of have to work. Even if you were in the same city, you'd have to work remote. So is it kind of the same? Yeah, I'd say it's kind of the same. And also, I think like a little bit of the nature of the business is kind of like that too. You know, just doing things over email and across distances. So I'd say it's about the same. Mickey, what about you? Well, like we were talking about earlier, I have a writing partner, Tobias, and we're both on the West Coast and we work together. Rachel and I had a different sort of process because she adapted my screenplays into novel form. So it was basically, I was writing the screenplay pages and sending them to her and she's adapting them. So there's not a lot of in-room conversations I don't think that have to happen. Say when Tobias and I are writing, a lot of it is over the computer. We have a program called TeamViewer where we literally are on the computer together and writing sometimes. And so it's much easier with him being West Coast and, and me being West Coast for us to pony up together like that. You know, it's a different process, you know from start to finish versus I work alone on the screenplay and then Rachel works alone on the adaptation and we cross reference occasionally, right? Rachel, wouldn't you say like, you're like, what did you mean by this? Or what is this? Or I'm going, Hey, when you're doing this, or I love this, or does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. That totally makes sense. Yeah. That definitely is very different. Right. So it's not like Rachel and I are connecting, trying to figure out what is the story about? Right. So, and that's something Tobias and I do with our films is like, what are we going to, what is this story about? So, so it's a different process, I think. And I think if Tobias were on the West Coast and I were on the East Coast, it would drive me crazy. I think that's what I'm trying to say is it was because it's a different process. I think the fact that Rachel, that we're three hours apart is not such a hindrance. But if it were Tobias and me, I would be like, get your fucking ass up. I know it's 4 a.m., but you need to talk to me right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Cool. Well, I definitely want to get into that process, get a little bit granular. But before we do... Oh, that's my favorite word. (laughs) I'm like, granular, granular, granular. Actually, my very favorite word is vertiginous, but I just love that word. Vertiginous, vertiginous. Everyone is vertiginous. Just don't go up high and look down. (laughs) 
before we dive into all this time, which I do want to talk about, I would love to hear more about your origin story. So obviously you mentioned, Mickey, that you you were writing a screenplay version of that. I would love to hear about your career leading up to this point. And then Rachel, what about you? How did you get to this point as well? I went to theater school in Georgia at Brunel University and got my theater degree, but they didn't really have a writing program. But all of those skills go into writing, right? Because, you know, if you're acting, you're interpreting a character. If you're directing, you're interpreting it all. And basically just writing is the building block of that. So I always wanted to to get closer to the foundation of the art, which is to me, in my opinion, no offense to everybody who does everything else, writing is it, you know, without a script, without a story, what, what do you have, you know? So, and then that way you get to really, really honor what your characters want you to do for them and what kind of story they want you to tell. So I went to theater school. I worked just regular a long time. I directed theater in Atlanta for a bit. And then I came here to Los Angeles and wanted to tell my stories. And I found a screenwriting salon kind of thing. Like, um, it's a home group. It's called Twin Bridges. And they're really, really good. And it basically is a group of writers who, it's a writing group. And that's where I met Tobias. And we were writing separately. And then we were like, you know, we think in our case, probably two plus two makes five. So we just kind of hooked up and writing only. We hooked up writing only. <laughs> and he, people ask that. It's really funny because we're really tight and we're, ve- we're very symbiotic. And they're like, you know, are you guys married? We get that. And he's like, yes, I'm married to Elizabeth. And I'm thinking, yes, I'm a lesbian. So no, we are not anywhere in that kind of romantic relationship. But he's definitely the man in my life. We hooked up and became writing partners. And then we, we were submitting our scripts to... I had written a script called Elsewhere which is the basis of all this time. And this is where the story comes in. I had written that before Tobias and I became partners. And then we submitted, he submitted it to the Austin Film Festival because I was having kind of a crisis of, I think I'm shit. I don't think I'm any fucking good. Like maybe I should just ditch this shit and go like work an office job. And so he was like, no, I think you're actually pretty good. And he submitted it and it got into the finals. And with that, we got our agent, our manager, our attorney, like we, the whole package came together. And that script made it onto the blacklist, which is a big deal out here. And then that script was kind of used as a sample. And it was almost bought a couple of times. But now I'm really, really glad it wasn't because now it's a book. But then from that, we got the New Line movie, The Curse of La Llorona. And then we got Five Feet Apart. So this, this all kind of trickles down from that one script. And when we got Five Feet Apart, what happened is Justin Baldoni, he had an idea. He had a friend, Claire Wineland, who was a part, she's passed away, sadly. And she was a superstar in the CF community, cystic fibrosis. And she had mentioned, and this is the way I'm roughly paraphrasing it, but the way I remember Justin telling us the story is they became really good friends when he did a documentary called My Last Days. Justin is very emotionally attached to and fascinated with and wants to explore people who don't have a long time to live and people who die young and how do you process that, right? So he did this My Last Days documentary and Claire was one of his subjects. So not like a scientific, not like a lab rat, but she, she was like a subject. And so he was saying to us that he said, well, obviously, you know, you, you date people within your community because they understand you or something. But like I said, I'm roughly paraphrasing it. 
And she said, no, no, that's the last person we can ever fall in love with because we can't touch each other ever. And he was like, huh? So yeah, so he said that when she said that, he went, holy, that is a, that's a movie. So he had the idea of two kids in a hospital who can't touch and fall in love. And what do you do with that? He was looking for writers and it was really funny because he was with CBS and they had already, you know, set him up and said, yeah, we'll make this movie when you find the writers. And then he, they were talking to someone that was CBS had, you know, brought him to, and then he just got a hold of Elsewhere, which was the script that made the blacklist, which like I said, now has become all this time. And he got a hold of it and he said that, that is what I need for this movie. So he called us and we talked to him. And he said, I have this idea about two kids in a hospital who can't touch. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, I think the whole story just came to me. And so I wrote down kind of a pitch document for him. Like, this is what I would do with it. This is what we think. And then we got the job in the room and then we wrote the screenplay. And then we, I think at some point, and I'm not sure because I wasn't involved in the process about when CBS and Justin decided to approach Simon and Schuster, but it was pretty late in the, it was pretty late in the writing process because we were already getting ready to film. I think when Rachel started writing, isn't that right? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Cause I remember I had the screenplay and then I remember it was just like constantly evolving <laughs> with like production drafts. Like I felt like every week it was like, Blue edition, and I'd be like, "What is going on?" Yellow, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pink. Uh, as you guys got closer, but yeah, yeah. I, it was. I think maybe two, maybe three months at the most, right before you guys broke ground on filming. Yeah, and I think it was funny because we were filming part of it, and I remember from set, literally texting Rachel saying, "Have you adapted the scene yet? Have you written the scene yet?" And she'd be like, "Um, sometimes it was yes, and sometimes it was no." I was like, "Well, here's the new line, and here's what happens, and just in case, you know." And I would yeah. <laughs> Because we really wanted it to be the movie version. So we were lucky in that way that it was real-time writing, kind of, right? No, for sure. Yeah, it definitely was. Like, I think even as, like, the cast started getting revealed to me more and more, I would start changing character descriptions, even stuff like that. Just, like, small bits and pieces changing as you guys started filming. Rachel, did you want to give us your backstory kind of a little bit further back, leading up to the point at which you started working with Mickey? Yeah, for sure. Origin story. I love that. Yeah. So for me personally, I I grew up like really loving to read. And I think maybe the first inkling that I wanted to be a writer was in about third grade. I had this one teacher who would give me and another student these additional writing prompts that we would do during recess or sometimes as like extra additional homework. And I just pretty much, I turned in stories that were like a fan fiction cross between like Magic Treehouse and Harry Potter just every single week consistently. And it was kind of funny because my teacher at the time had not read Harry Potter. So I would be turning in these things. She'd be like, oh my gosh, like Professor McGonagall, like where are you coming up with these ideas? And I'd just be like, it is, what can I say? <laughs> just turning these out. So from there, I, yeah, I always, I always think I wanted to be a writer. It really kind of became something that seemed like it was a possibility when I went to the University of Pittsburgh and I took two classes, Writing Youth Literature 1 and 2 with a young adult author named Siobhan Vivian, who publishes with Simon and & Schuster. And about A few months after I graduated, she contacted me to let me know about this opportunity to take the screenplay Five Feet Apart and turn it into a novel adaptation of the uh, screenplay. So I read through the screenplay, absolutely adored it. In one sitting, I just poured over it, fell in love with the story, fell in love with, you know, the desire to raise awareness about cystic fibrosis. 
And I turned in a first chapter and kind of threw my name in the hat. And I was blown away that I uh, got selected to do it. So it was really wild for sure. All this time is coming out very soon, 929. Before we dive a little bit more into your process working together <laughs> and also working separately, tell us how you're feeling about you know the book going into its release, which is coming out very soon. I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm terrified to turn in a draft. I'm terrified to get... No, I'm not terrified to get notes. I love getting notes. But I'm always on pins and needles, nervous about everything because we're kind of exposing ourselves in a lot of ways. And it's there for the public to say, you fucking suck, you know, <laughs> or we love you. So you always want a, we love you, <laughs> but sure. you get the, you fucking suck and you get it more often than you'd like. And it doesn't matter if it's coming from some stranger who goes, I fucking hate you. You suck. Like I have had some really beautiful things said to me, you know, in DMs and some pretty fucking awful things mm-hmm. said to me in DMs. So I'm always a little bit cautious when going into any kind of release. And this is, this would, I would say my first book release because Five Feet Apart, because we were so in it and it was done, it felt we were a little separated from the whole, we weren't included in any of the book stuff really except me sending Rachel pages and updates and text messages. Here's the updates, but we weren't included in any of the publishing side of it, Tobias nor I were. So this time it's very much inclusionary and I am the author, I guess, considered this time. And it's, it's different. So it feels like this is my first book release instead of really my, like Rachel, I'm sure it feels to you like it's your second. So it's kind of my first. It would be like if Rachel just got a movie made. Oh my God. Right. And I'm like, I just got queasy at the thought of that. Right. So (laughs) I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, it's a fucking movie. You're fine. You know? And, And it's like, no, no, it's different because it's a different side of a coin for me. Seeing the sun this time, it's a little bare and raw. So I'm nervous. Yeah, definitely. Echoing all of that. Yeah, definitely. It's the second book. So that feels really big. You know, Five Feet Apart was huge because there was the movie and it did pretty well, the book. So it definitely feels feels big, definitely, to be releasing the second book. And I know how important the story is to Mickey and also just the entire background behind it. So it feels really big. And I really love the story. And I just hope that, you know, (laughs) echoing what Mickey said, that... uh. We get the we good we comments. Don't a, we don't get a bunch <laughs> of you suck. Yeah, right. We get a little bit more of the good comments than a bunch of you suck. So, yeah. As far as the actual process, I mentioned granular earlier. I would love to dive into kind of how the story goes from being a script to a book. In this case, usually I kind of run through outline and then, you know, first draft and that kind of thing. As far as the outline itself, obviously, by the time it gets to Rachel, it's already a finished, you know. It's a full product. It's yeah. a full product. But is there a reworking of the outline from that core perspective at all? Or is it pretty much keeping it linear to what the script is? I would say, and you may have noticed this, Rachel, with this screenplay had a lot more detail in it. I was able to, because I knew it wasn't going to film first, I knew that it was going to Rachel. It reads like a screenplay with a lot of prose, with a lot of prose, like a lot more specific prose than would be in, I would say, a typical screenplay. So I would say that was a little different, but pretty much the real, tell me out, Rachel. So how does, because this is more from your side, I think. This is a more of a question from your side. Like, did you get something different from me than you got with Five Feet Apart? Yeah, did I get something different? different with Five Feet Apart than what I'd previously been getting? Yeah, I would say I could definitely see 
that there was, I think, more pros in it. And also, as you mentioned, there wasn't the aspect of, you know, it going into production right as we were starting to yeah. exchange. So I definitely think that impacted it a bit. I think with both, though, there was definitely, there's, there's always the aspect of, you know, making changes while the writing process is continuing. Uh, yeah. Like I know, I know with this one and also with Five Feet Apart, you know, you would have like a month. <laughs> Five Feet Apart was kind of crazy. There were especially short deadlines for that. So I'd be receiving, you know, the screenplay and like the updates or the additions or new scenes or whatever. But then I would also be getting, you know, the editorial notes and all the line edits within the thing. So it would kind of be a mishmash of combining, you know, the changes that have been made to the screenplay with the editorial notes and the editorial letter and all of those pieces into the book draft itself. But yeah, no, I definitely, I totally agree. I think with this one, I could definitely tell there was more prose, I guess, more. It was more of the inner workings of the story, not just the screenplay, which, you know, in the screenplay, you've got the characters, you've got the plot, you've got everything and everything is there. It's just not written out. If it weren't there, they couldn't make a movie from it. If it weren't, Mm -hmm. if the emotions weren't there and the things they were feeling weren't baked into the dialogue, then the actor couldn't do it. You know, they wouldn't know what they were playing. So it's there. But with a novel, it's just written out. So you don't have to interpret anything. It's interpreted for you in a novel. That's the way I look at it. So I would say in the process of sending all this time versus the first script, Five Feet Apart, all this time had a lot more of that interpretation done by me in the screenplay. So it wasn't as, doesn't look as bare on paper, I would say, I think. But it was, it was a year ago now. So my memory is foggy. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I would, I would say that. But Rachel, lucky yeah, for you, you got the hard part the first time out of the gate. Because I was <laughs> like, yeah, she had to take notes from like, you had to do the screenplay and get the editorial notes and all those things. I hadn't heard you talk about it quite like that. And I'm like, wow, first time out the gate. No, <laughs> like, for sure. You're having to merge everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then yeah, there are always portions of it where, you know, a scene is completely rewritten. So you have to like figure out the merger between, you know, the notes that were given and also just the change in the scene itself. But yeah, it was really cool. I think another element of it is just like, in terms of this process, and I feel like, especially with Five Feet Apart, kind of what you just said about that was, I think like between mediums, I feel like we worked pretty well together, which was, which was, yeah, absolutely. Which was pretty cool. Especially way of reading my mind in some parts, like, I forgot what you, there, she would do things. I'm like, fuck you. I would <laughs> <laughs> be like, how did you know that? Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely felt like that. Like in terms of there were just like a couple of times and a couple of moments, I think with just how rapid five feet apart was and the, yeah. the turnaround rate on that, like I very much had to go with instinct. And I think, I think if I didn't maybe understand like what you were saying on the page and just like the intricacies and all that kind of stuff, I feel like I really understood it well, like what you were trying to say, why this person was angry in a particular scene, uh, why they were doing this, the Mm -hmm. motivations behind that, like the inner workings of the character. I think we worked pretty well. We were always on the same page or pretty close to the same page. Yeah, and when it wasn't, it it was a phone call. Like, Yeah, for sure, for sure. (laughs) What is Will thinking right here? (laughs) No, definitely. Like, he's thinking, I need to get the fuck out of here! (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city. 
while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. One of the biggest differences between a screenplay and a novel is that in a screenplay, you're not really describing thoughts. That's exactly um, right. You know, you are describing the scene from a visual perspective. So Mickey, maybe from your perspective, can you tell us what the challenges of writing from that perspective are? And then Rachel, maybe can you tell us about the challenges then from taking the screenplay and then adding the thoughts? But yeah, can you walk yeah, us through I- both of those perspectives? Sure. I think I just touched on that when I said in a screenplay, if you look at it, it reads like those intentions are not there, but they have to be there in order for everyone to interpret it the same way. So from the screenplay standpoint, I'm writing in a way that there is no fucking doubt that you know what this character means when he's Mm -hmm. saying what he says, why he says what he says, why he's doing what he's doing. Even if you don't find out until page 90, that's why he did it. You need to know so it's got to be there. And what I was saying earlier is that when, you know, when the script goes to Rachel, she has that. If I haven't done my job, then she doesn't have the tool. Well, you would have the tools, but you would not be working off of my interpretation of what I want these. It just breaks it out instead of letting an actor interpret and a director interpret the intentions and the motivations of the character. They're written out for the reader. So the author, the writer of the novel, goes in and you know what I'm saying? Like from a, from a screenwriter standpoint, you're putting all that information in there. We do not leave a blank page, a page where we don't know what this person is doing or why he's doing it or what the story is about. It's there. If it weren't there, you couldn't make a movie from it. But when you transfer it to a novel, it's just breaking all those down and all of the interpretations that would come from the actor, the director, the production designer, all those things are just written out in novel form by the person writing the novel. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And I feel like I, I stumbled over that. So No, no. I think that's completely true. Just like you're saying, it really is all there on the page. You know, you can you can visualize it. You can read the scene out loud. You can see, you know, what's there. And it was there. So I felt like that was pretty... I felt like it was pretty easy for me to, you know, see within the scene, you know, how the characters were feeling, uh, their emotions. And then also you understand the characters because you do have the entire screenplay. So you see you know, them interacting with people, you see them with their parents, you see them with the person that they love, you see them, their dreams, their goals, what they want to do, their intentions, how they change throughout the story. So it's easy to, you know, get in that headspace, just because you see them move around in the world that they exist in. So yeah, I I felt like that was a, a pretty good process and a really interesting process. Because yeah, definitely Mickey put it all down on the page, you know, so 
you could really see what they were thinking and how they were acting. Would you say that the process of converting from a script to a novel is interchangeable on the other side? Is there a world where if Rachel wrote a book and Mickey converted that into a script, what would that process look like? Mickey, have you done that before? Adapted books, for sure. Yeah. Tobias and I have, we have a Netflix movie called Night Books that was adapted from a children's horror book. You know, that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. I think the unusual thing is taking a movie to a book because you always see book adaptations, you know, in films and film and TV, almost everything is based on a book Mm -hmm. or an article or something. So yeah, Tobias and I just did that. It starts production October, knock on wood. They're casting right now. So yeah, and it's filming in Toronto, but it's a, it's a book adaptation. We've done that for sure. It's the same. You take, you take the whole book where all the thoughts are there and all the, all the, the motivations and the intentions of the characters and the story and the plot and everything is written out for you with perspective from the characters by the author. And you just distill it into, you know, what part of this book makes the most visually striking story and how are we going to tell it in a way that brings to life film this story and you can't you can't say every word you can't write every line and every intention of the character and some and a lot of times in books you have prose that intimates what the character is thinking or doing and why they're doing it and for a movie we have to we have to figure out how to say that you know and so one example really great is like what I was about to go is where they get an actor who doesn't need those extra not that they all done so careful not to offend anybody but Jennifer Lawrence in the Hunger Games I remember thinking because I'd read The Hunger Games, I was a huge fan, and I saw they were making the movie, and I said, oh my God, how are they going to do this? It's told from first person, and it's her experience in this world, and it's not a ton of dialogue. It's her, you know? I'm like, how are they going to get an actress who can do this without needing, and they did. Of course, she's brilliant, you know? So it's kind of like, it's just reverse engineering what Rachel, well, I think what Rachel and I did was reverse engineering what the typical path is, which is book to movie, not movie to book. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was thinking that that is kind of like the typical path. But yeah, I don't know if maybe were you also kind of asking like if I wrote a book, how would it look like if Mickey had adapted that? Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. I mean that's a good question. That'd probably be pretty cool maybe to see like the inverse (laughs) of that. I think I would just well listen, as a writer, as a screenwriter, when we're when when I'm working from someone else's work, all I care about is making it the best version it can be. So like with Nightbooks, or if Rachel wrote a book and I adapted it, I would try to bring to the screen the live action version of her novel. That's all we're trying to do. You know, for me, as me, as a screenwriter, I don't want to adapt a novel that I don't love. If there's a novel that I want to change a hundred things about, I don't think that one's for me. So I'm not speaking to any of your work. I'm saying in general, because I know that you see a lot of adaptations where they change a lot of stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't understand that. But I guess, you know, I mean, obviously things are changed for a film version to make things more visually, you know, impactful. And I get that. But like major plot changes and stuff, I'm like, oh, huh. You it's know? a different story sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, huh, hmm, you know, but hey, they do it their way. But I would, I would be, what I would do if Rachel had a book and she brought it and said, we're making a movie of this and a studio bought it and they hired me to do the film, I would try to literally make a live action version of Rachel's book. And then what would this look like? And what would these lines look like? And what would this dialogue, what is this? She has a paragraph here about how Joe feels about Judy smacking him in the face just now. I'd be like, (laughs) how can I do that in two lines? 
Because that's what I have Mm -hmm. to do. I have to do that and say, what did she say to him? What does this little moment look like? You know? Mickey and Rachel, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? They don't Absolutely. Sound, yes, sure. <laughs> the first one being, we already talked about this before the interview. Are you a morning writer or are you a night writer? Night writer, 100%. I day write when I'm on a deadline mm-hmm. and I have to, and somehow it, w- it will wake up, but I'm generally a night writer for sure. I'm kind of like a whenever the urge strikes me kind of writer. I know I'll, I'll have work. I'll have to work at some point throughout the day, but you know, sometimes I wake up some mornings and I have like a really nice tea and I'm sitting there and I'm like, let's get it done. And there are other moments where it's like one in the morning and I'm just like writing by candlelight <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, it's like whenever the urge strikes, I guess. <laughs> How very Emily Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. Do you write, Rachel, do you write every day? Uh, you know, I, I really try to. Uh-huh. There are definitely some days where I'll like, I just, I can't sit down and like really give it the time it deserves. But I think yeah. if I'm not writing every day, then I like carry like a little like pocket-sized notebook around with me everywhere. And mm-hmm. if I'm not writing, then I'm writing something down in that, even if it's just like a tiny idea that I have throughout the day. Do you write every day? No. <laughs> I need to. What I do is, well, I write every day when we're really, really busy. Right now mm-hmm. we have this dirty dancing we're working on. We have the night books thing. And another thing, Tobias and I, so it's like jumbling, jumbling, jumbling. Yeah. But yeah. basically what I do is I binge write. So I will do mm, that's like a day yeah. where I can't. I'm surprised you don't like that's not. I'm surprised you no, don't honestly, that. like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm honestly way closer to that. I will completely empty my tank. And then there will be like a week after I hit a deadline where I just can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And I need like a the way that I know that I've like reset my like creativity bar is like when I want to read a book again. That's like yeah. my litmus test. I'll go crazy for a deadline and then I'll submit it. And then the you exact second, yeah, take a break. Yeah. yeah, the exact second that I'm like, oh, I could pick up a book and read it. That's hmm. when I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm good. I'm healed. <laughs> I'm envious of the writers who they get up and they have a nine to five. They've made it their nine to five job and they get up and mm. they start working at nine no matter what. And they work, you know, I'm so envious of that because I've got these pages due in two weeks and I've got to cram them out. So it's like 24 seven, like I said, jalapeno cheddar Cheetos and Diet Dr. <laughs> Pepper on mainline. So you just mentioned the next bonus question was what's the comfort foods that help you get through creator's block? <laughs> Could you just repeat those, Mickey, just in case I anyone missed it? I am and then addicted Rachel? to Diet Dr. Pepper and Cheddar Jalapeno <laughs> Cheetos. Oh my Love gosh. It. Cheddar Jalapeno Cheetos. Those Not so the good. Flaming Hot Cheetos because they're too oh, hot. No. But Cheddar <laughs> they have like a flavor. Flaming Hot to me is just hot. I will actually say Cheetos. I've actually, I spent a lot of time during the quarantine kind of at my in-law's house. And they, my wife's mother is obsessed with the Cheetos that are big, the puffy ones. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I will just like go through an entire bag of the large bag and just like feel horrible the next day. So that's definitely one of them, but also so horrible just, like, while I'm doing it. I need to wait till <laughs> the next day. Mine is immediate regret, but I'm <laughs> like, well, you're halfway it. through the bag still going like, oh I'm boy. Like, eh, I'm halfway done. I'll yeah. <laughs> I'm a completionist <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> Committing to it. Yeah. So definitely the Cheetos. And yeah, I do like lattes and coffees and that kind of thing. There's like a coffee place right down the street from where I live. So I'll always like walk up there to get some fresh air when I'm working on something and grab a latte from them. Vanilla latte. Love that. The last question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening right now, what would you say? That's a big one. (laughs) 
That's not a random question. That's a, <laughs> that's a give me a second minute. Hang on a second. I actually saw first, one. Because I got to think about yeah, it. Yeah, I saw somebody posted something about this recently. It was like the best advice they'd ever received from like a writing teacher or something. There's something along the lines of, it's debatable. But I feel like in the past few years, I've seen the truth in it. It's better for something to be done than to like only have like a chapter or like a, or whatever of something good. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting because I think it's so hard, especially when it comes to like writing books, to like sit down and actually complete something and have something that you can edit and make better and, you know, work into something that could be sold or one day published. And I feel like that's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard to just sit down and do it. So yeah, I oftentimes think about that, that just like, you know, sitting down, getting the words on the page, then you have the ability to actually craft it into something, make it better. Yeah, that was a big one for me, I think. I'm still thinking. I'm really there's a million <laughs> answers to this question. Yeah, they um, definitely are. I would say I would say my most and I think I give this on panels too. I think I say this. Don't buy your own hype. If you have a number one bestseller, if you have a number one movie, it is not all you. You did not do that mm-hmm. by yourself and you need to fucking know you did not do that by yourself. That was Absolutely. your agents, it were your reps, it was your co-writer, it was the producer, it was the director, it was the actors, it was the editor. Everybody involved had a vegetable in that soup. And without those vegetables, the soup tastes like shit. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you may be a fantastic fucking writer, but it is always going to get better by listening to people. Even if you think their notes are fucking stupid, there's something that they're finding in there that is not hitting home with them. You don't have to listen to the direct note. You can listen to the note behind the note. You can look at this scene and say, she said she hated this part and here's why, but that's not really even really why she hated this part. You'll find something in there that's not ringing true. It's almost every time for me, that's the thing. And I will say that I never want to be guilty of thinking that it's all me mm-hmm. and that I'm, yes, I have talent. Yes, I'm creative. Yes, I'm good at what I do. I will say that. But I'm better when I have people around me who help me and who talk to me and who kneecap me when it's needed and say, what the fuck was that? You know, <laughs> you're better than that. Or people who go, you're better than that in your attitude you're being an asshole right now. Stop being a fucking asshole. You know? And so I, that would be my, I think it's a less of a creative approach. My advice would be take the fucking help and listen, 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 listen to the people around you because they're there for a reason. That's great. I cannot love that more. That's my. Love that. I think the way I said it in one panel was eat the shit sandwich. Take the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, all this time is on sale. 929 if you're listening <laughs> please check it out go one step please further check buy it, out. it please do take, take out check the wallet out. take out the credit it. card you will not regret <laughs> it don't send me uh, a dm that tells me to drown myself <laughs> just keep it to yourself no <laughs> yeah, i want either. to hear yeah, criticism because i just said it right i want to hear it send it to me just don't ask me to kill myself over it just say hey listen this could have been better <laughs> or this was cheesy not you fucking suck guy Yes. If you're listening, do not do that. Not okay. Well, thank you again, Mickey and Rachel. Did you want to plug anything else? Your website, your social media, your Twitter, so people can send you nice DMs? We can do all that. She's got the website and the social. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Rachel Lippincott. And also my website is rachellippincott.com. I have a Twitter, but I'm not super active on it. And I'm Uh, at Mickey Daughtry at everything. Well, thank you again for your insights and time. Did you have fun? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, we always so have fun together. Yeah. <laughs> As did we. It was really an honor and really excited about the book. Good luck with everything. <laughs> thank you thank so much. You. Thanks, Amazing. Sport. Thank you. And thanks again to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.